Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, the party of Trump. It is now even more clear what GOP voters want. Donald Trump. Here in New Hampshire, they delivered a double-digit historic victory for the former president. Trump won more votes than any candidate in any New Hampshire primary ever. In an electorate of Republicans and independents, he won bigly, as he might say. Old voters, young voters, men, women, white voters, voters of color, you name it. Making it all but certain Trump will be the GOP presidential nominee for the third time in a row. We had one hell of a night tonight. When you win Iowa and you win New Hampshire, they've never had a loss. We're way up on everybody. We're way up on Biden. We have an opportunity to do something so amazing. Yet last night's results have some warning signs for Republicans in their battle ahead. I'm Dana Bash, live from Marianne's Diner in Amherst, New Hampshire. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. Donald Trump does seem to be on a glide path to the Republican nomination. Every day, more party leaders are calling him the presumptive nominee. But Nikki Haley says she isn't nearing the end of her campaign, even after losing here in New Hampshire by 11 points. And in Iowa, she lost by more than 30. The Haley campaign is hoping that they can turn it around in her home state of South Carolina. She's holding a rally there tonight and just bought $4 million worth of ad time in that state. But more and more Republicans say it's time for her to call it quits, including this from the chair of the Republican Party. I'm looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. I think she's run a great campaign, but I do think there is a message that's coming out from the voters, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump. You're telling Nikki Haley that she needs to get out? I just don't see the path in the math. I hope she reflects tonight. I think it's time to move forward. I want to get straight to CNN's David Chalian, who is at the magic wall to break all of this down. Let's start with Nikki Haley, who says she's not backing down. Uh, show us the reality. I will show you some of the reality that I think informed what you just heard there from the chairwoman, who, by the way, is supposed to be neutral in this process. That didn't sound that way. Um, take a look here. Uh, this was how Republicans split their vote in New Hampshire last night, Dana. So among self-identified Republicans in the New Hampshire primary, which is half the electorate, Donald Trump wins them by 49 points. 
Is that right? Or how about, uh, yeah, uh, 74% to 25%. Okay, so you have to understand if you look at the map all the way out from now to June, the far majority of voters in this process are self-identified Republicans. That is a strength for Trump and a weakness for Haley. In South Carolina, her sweet home state, as she says in this next one, independents are not going to be nearly as large of a share, most likely, as they were in New Hampshire. That was such fertile ground for her. In 2012, when it was just a Republican contest, independents only made up a quarter of the electorate in the Republican primary. In 2016, it was 22 percent independents as a share of the overall Republican primary electorate. Uh, Nikki Haley had 44% independent share yesterday and, and still came up short by double digits. And then take a look here, Dana, among white-born, again, evangelical Christians. In the 2016 Republican South Carolina primary, two-thirds of voters identified themselves as white-born again or evangelical Christians. Two-thirds. Just look what happened in Iowa last week among this same voter group. And not, it's not a monolith, obviously, but Donald Trump won a majority of white evangelical Christians out in Iowa, 53%. Nikki Haley was only at 13%. You could add up all the opponents of Trump in this voter group, and Donald Trump still had more. David, I want to bring our friend and colleague Jeff Zeleny in, uh, who is here with me now, was here with me uh, last night. Uh, what are your thoughts on those numbers that David just showed us? Well, look, it's a dramatically different electorate. And if Nikki Haley was going to have uh, a big rise and upend this race, it needed to start here in New Hampshire. So, of course, she has things going for her as she goes to South Carolina. As she said last night, voters know her record. It's harder for Donald Trump to, as she said, make up lies about it. But the reality is the state has changed dramatically, even since those numbers that David was talking about there. We've seen the huge population growth in South Carolina, particularly during the times of COVID. Uh, it's become a Trumpier state, mm -hmm. no doubt. But she is going to test the proposition that her story and her connection to South Carolina is strong enough to uh, really dramatically change this. So as big as Donald Trump's comeback has been in Iowa and New Hampshire after uh, his defeat, Hers would have to be almost as big in a primary for something like this to happen in South yeah, Carolina. Yeah, I mean, we, we joke that, uh, and David, as I toss back to you, that Nikki Haley says that she was the Tea Party candidate back in 2010. It's so long ago when it comes to our politics, it might as well have been like the New Deal. <laughs> Things have changed so incredibly much. Let's look ahead and use what we saw last night to analyze some of the pitfalls that Donald Trump, assuming he is the nominee, might have in the general election. And Dana, we should put a note of caution around this. When we're talking about independence in the context of a Republican primary, a lot of those are Republican leaning and may put on their mm -hmm. Republican jersey in November, but probably not all of them. And in New Hampshire, that independent streak is real. Mm -hmm. Look at this Trump deficiency with independence last night versus Nikki Haley. It was 44% of the overall electorate, and Donald Trump loses them by 19 percentage points. 58% for Haley, 39% uh, for Trump. College-educated voters, this is another weak spot for Donald Trump and part of his downfall in 2020 and his party's downfall in the 2018 and 2022 midterms. Nikki Haley won college graduates, roughly half the electorate, 56% to 42%, a slightly smaller share than non-college graduates in New Hampshire. But again, a Trump weak spot. And then 
this is going to be on Trump's to-do list. When Nikki Haley does eventually come to the reality that Trump is most likely going to be the nominee here, 84% of her voters in New Hampshire last night said they would be dissatisfied if Donald Trump is the nominee, as he's likely to be. That is a mission for Donald Trump and his team to start healing the party and bring those people into the fold once his nomination is assured, Dana. So fascinating. Great analysis and reporting, as always. David Chalian, thanks for doing it for Thank us. Uh, joining me and Jeff here in New Hampshire to discuss this and so much more, CNN's Kristen Holmes and Bloomberg's Mario Parker. Uh, hello. Happy day after primary day. Uh, let's just pick off where uh, David left off. And Kristen, you spent so much time and are going to spend even more time covering the Trump campaign. Um, do they acknowledge any of the... Uh, we shouldn't take away this big victory. He had a very big victory here, as we mm -hmm. noted at the beginning of the show. But now it's already on to the next phase, the most important phase, the general yeah. election. Do they acknowledge some of the um, bumps that he'll have in the road that David was talking about? Yeah, I think that they know that they have an imperfect candidate when you're talking to the campaign. Um, that's why you're seeing them do a lot of behind-the-scenes work, using data, trying to target Republicans, trying to target independents by attacking their opponents and linking them to things like Social Security, like they did here in New Hampshire. Uh, one of the things that they have done, and they did it in Iowa, and it was a big part of their strategy, and it will be in a general election, is expanding the electorate to be an electorate that favors Donald Trump. And they particularly feel like they can do this if the approval ratings of Joe Biden remain low, because what they're trying to do is find people who support Donald Trump or could support Donald Trump, but have never voted yeah. before, instead of necessarily going to those groups like independents or college-educated voters that they might not be able yeah. to siphon off. That's so interesting. Um, before we get there, Nikki Haley is still very much yes. a candidate in this race, and that is uh, despite the fact that more Republicans even and especially Republicans who are not big fans of Donald Trump are coming out and trying to put pressure on her uh, to drop out. John Cornyn, Republicans need to unite around a single candidate. He is uh, a top-ranking Republican senator. Marco Rubio, uh, who she endorsed in 2016, he did not return the favor. He endorsed Trump instead. Donor money is going to be wasted. Deb Fischer, another uh, senator. It's time for the GOP to unite and make Joe Biden a one-term president. And yet, Mario, she's on the air or going on the air shortly. She told us on this program yesterday that she was going to put $4 million into ads into South Carolina. They're putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And these are some of the ads they're going to run. Biden, too old. Trump, too much chaos. A rematch no one wants. There's a better choice for a better America. Her story started right here. Nikki Haley delivered thousands of jobs, lower taxes, tough immigration laws, same old Biden and Trump, or new conservative leadership. Mario. Yes, look, we're at the point of the game here where people are starting to look, to look at the scoreboard. The time is running out. Nikki Haley's down by a whole lot. And you're wondering, well, maybe I stay around and see if something dramatic happens at the last play, or maybe I get in my car and beat the traffic, right? That's essentially <laughs> what we're looking at with South Carolina. There is, you can't rule it totally out. I mean, it's less than a 1% shot, though, right? As you all mentioned, the, elect, the composition of the electorate has changed underneath our feet there. It's a more Trumpier South Carolina. 
for donors. If you want to play in presidential politics, she's the only game in town. If you're worried about the toxicity that comes from yeah. donating to Trump's campaign. And so, hey, you just push your chips to the to the middle of the table and look to see if you can at least make something stick going into South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. We've got to talk about last night, the speeches. Nikki Haley, uh, let's just start with her. She did congratulate Donald Trump, and then she went for the jugular. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. Trump is the only Republican in the country who Joe Biden can defeat. This court case, that controversy, this tweet, that senior moment. And then Donald Trump, in his victory speech, talked a lot about her. I don't get too angry, I get even. Iran came in second and he left. She came in third and she's still hanging around. I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. Um, you know, the playbook is, in any traditional wor world, um, which, of course, he's not traditional, which is why he's who he is, is you wish her well, and then you talk about your own success, and then you move on. And he could not help himself. It was, it was nasty, to use his term. It was, and this was something that was clearly under his skin, she was in his head. It could have been a moment that his advisors were telegraphing that this was a moment to pivot to the general election and ignore her, dismiss her, uh, but that of course is not in his DNA. What he gave her was a sense of what's coming in South Carolina. There's a long history of really um, nasty South Carolina primary fights in the Republican race, the Republican side of things, and this is uh, you know, going to be the modern-day version of that. But I think that one other thing was clear. He was so different from Iowa. In mm -hmm. Iowa, he was actually trying to be magnanimous and looked like he was having one of the best nights of he his read life. He the teleprompter in Iowa. He didn't even he have did. a teleprompter in Iowa. They oh, took really? it down, too. Yeah, but he, uh, but he was. So happy. Yeah, and, and using the word uniting, so, yeah. about, you know, uniting the party, uniting the country. Or that was he read the in Iowa, maybe. The question I wonder is, did he sort of uh, keep this race going longer by uh, yes. some Haley supporters being like, you know what, we don't want that guy. Yeah, He's kind of rude to her. You know, I, I uh, was texting with one of Haley's donors who said she raised a lot of money off of that speech. Right. I mean, we'll see if that comes forward. I just before we go to break, I got to ask about that Tim Scott moment last night. I'm going to play it and then I'm going to talk to you, Kristen, about it on the other side. Did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim. And think of it, appointed, and you're the senator of his state, and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. I just love you. No, that's, that's why he's a great politician. You were there. It was actually awkward. I mean, it, it felt, felt awkward. awkward. It felt awkward in the room. And you saw Tim Scott the second that he started talking about it kind of tense up and start walking towards it. It was, I mean, he, there was almost not even a pause between him getting to the microphone to say, no, I just love you. And of course, if you follow you know, Senator Scott's career at all, you know, this is not his brand of politics. He doesn't want to be out there saying he hates Nikki Haley, even though he did endorse Donald Trump. And I was told, you know, 
some, by someone close to Donald Trump that they believe that it put Scott in a really bad position, that Scott was not happy with those remarks. Of course, it gets down to, you know, he did endorse Donald Trump. He knows who Donald Trump is. He knows his politics and he knows how he talks. Uh, but I don't think it was a moment that was going to, was very good for Senator Tim Scott or for Donald Trump or particularly as they're going to use yeah. Tim Scott ahead of South Carolina. They want him to be out there campaigning for him. When you jump on the Trump train, you never know where it's going to take right. you. And he's uh, learning that like many people have learned before and probably will in the future. Stand by, everybody, because up next, just as Donald Trump seems poised to clinch the nomination, as we've been talking about, a prominent critic is set to return to late night TV. Jon Stewart is heading back to The Daily Show. We'll have details next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Some breaking news from the world of media and politics. Jon Stewart is coming back to The Daily Show as executive producer and part-time host. CNN's Oliver Darcy has the story from New York. Oliver. Yeah, Danette, this is huge news in the entertainment and political worlds. Uh, John Stewart is going to be returning to The Daily Show. He'll host once a week on Mondays. And the first episode, which Stewart drops the Monday after the Super Bowl next month. And of course, uh, this is not only big news uh, in the entertainment uh, arena, but also the political arena. Stewart's someone who uh, is known for those uh, really stinging, sharp, uh, monologues that are uh, exposing hypocrisy per, uh, among politicians. Uh, he's really someone who's able to cut through the political noise using humor like no one else. And so this is unquestionably going to have some impact on the 2024 race. He's going to have plenty of material to work with as the election season heats up between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be paying attention to what he, uh, what he says. Really interesting. Thanks for that reporting, Oliver. Appreciate it. Back on the campaign trail, President Biden just locked up a key endorsement from one of the biggest unions in the U.S. Soon, the nation's largest union of auto, work, auto workers rather, is expected to endorse him at an event in Washington, D.C. The move could help boost Biden with blue-collar and union workers, as well as in the key battleground state of Michigan. CNN's Arlette Science is covering the campaign and joins us live from the White House. Arlette, what are you hearing? 
President Biden will speak a little bit later this afternoon at this conference for the United Auto Workers, and it is expected that the union will throw its support behind Joe Biden in the 2024 race. It comes as both Biden and former President Donald Trump will be making a play for union and working class voters. Of course, Biden stood shoulder to shoulder on the picket line with the UAW just this past fall as they were in those contract negotiations with the big three automakers. The president has really tried to fashion himself as one of the pro most pro-union uh, presidents in history. But one big question is whether this endorsement from the union uh, will actually translate down to the rank and file members who are a part of that union. We have seen former President Trump really trying to make a play for these working class voters, especially in the Midwest, uh, voters who might uh, feel that Democratic uh, policies have left them behind. And so it really presents uh, one of the battle points for Biden and Trump going forward. Of course, one of the big states where this could play in is the battleground state of Michigan, where President Biden narrowly defeated Trump back in 2020. And if you take a look at the breakdown of how union support fell during that state, uh, during that race, 62 percent of union households backed Biden, 37 percent backed Trump. That is something that the Biden team is hoping to replicate, but it remains unclear at this time uh, whether they can or if Trump will siphon off some of that support from union voters. Of course, this is all coming as the Biden campaign really feels that this is becoming a two-person race and that the teams are entering the general election matchup uh, at this time uh, after the Trump won the, the state uh, in New Hampshire and something that Biden has been trying to stress over the course of the past day. Yeah, he sure has. Thank you so much, Arlette, for that reporting. And my panel is back. Um, Mario, I want to start with what Arlette was just referring to when it comes to Michigan, just as a kind of way to zoom in on what this means in a very important state. Yes, it is true that uh, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump with union workers in the last election, 62 to 37 percent. And we just want to put some context around that. Look at 2016. Michigan is a state that Hillary Clinton lost. Donald Trump won then. She only got 53 percent uh, of the vote. And that is one of the key parts of the so-called Biden coalition that led him to victory in place, places like Michigan, this union uh, vote and the idea that he is somebody who can appeal to them. Michigan will have other problems, which we'll talk about in a second, but just on this subset of his coalition, how critical is the UAW? It's, it's very critical. I would argue that Michigan is maybe the crown jewel of his prospects to return to the White House in 2024. It, it encapsulates so many of the challenges and opportunities that he has. Uh, Donald Trump has been using, is a key part of his stump speech is to create a wedge between union workers and auto, union auto workers and Biden by honing in on the EV push, right? This is a, a centerpiece of Biden's legislative agenda. Biden, of course, has been courting Sean Fain. He went out to the picket lines in order to win the strike. Exactly. And so there's that that issue as well. And then some of the other stuff that's bubbling up in Michigan, right? The the some of the dissent between the the part different wings of the Democratic Party over the Palestinian got the Gaza war in Israel, also black voters, maybe some apathy there in Detroit as well. So I would argue this is a huge yeah. win for the White House today. So I I want to pick up on, on that and talk about what happened yesterday. There was a lot going on here in New Hampshire, so it's understandable that uh, maybe what we saw in Manassas, Virginia, it was the first joint appearance between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, official campaign appearance. They went to Virginia to push the issue of abortion. Let's listen to that. Trump says he's proud that he overturned Roe v. Wade. 
He said, and I quote, there has to be punishment for the women exercising the reproductive freedom. He describes the Dobbs decision as a miracle. But for American women, it's a nightmare. Former President Trump handpicked, handpicked three Supreme Court justices because he intended for them to overturn Roe. He intended for them to take your freedoms. So that was the very carefully crafted message that they wanted to launch their campaign with jointly. Then here's what happened in the crowd. Joe and I had a chance to sit down. This happened over and over and over again, Jeff. And uh, look, we see protesters. I saw them at a Trump rally. I mean, we see them everywhere. This is, we're highlighting this because A, it's a White House event, and B, it's not just a random protest. It speaks to a very big concern that the White House, the reelection campaign has because of progressive angst and anger over his um, support for Israel's the way the White House says it, is Israel's right to defend itself. For sure. That is going to be a soundtrack to this re-election campaign, and Biden officials know it and are bracing for it. The difference is, uh, as Mario was saying, this is a key part of the Biden coalition in Michigan and beyond. But what's so different about this, we've all seen anti-war protesters, to use that, mm -hmm. that term, um, certainly back in the the uh, George W. Bush re-election race, but those were protesters from the outside, if you will. Mm -hmm. These are people from inside Biden's coalition. That's what is so different about this. Mm -hmm. And they need, the White House needs these people either to neutralize their support or to get them back on board. And that is very, very difficult to do. So uh, never mind the optics of that. I mean, right. to have the president interrupted some 14 times or so, our White House team said it was there. But this is a challenge going forward. And it's there's really little he can do about it in the short term, the damage may be done. Before we go, I want to highlight some great reporting from our colleagues, Priscilla Alvarez, Betsy Klein, Arlette Sines, and others in the White House, uh, talking about the way that the campaign is going to continue to use Kamala Harris. Uh, fired up Kamala Harris becomes the Biden campaign's voice on some of its most central political issues. How, um, how critical is this? I mean, I think it's critical for Joe Biden. I think that for Republicans, it's a, it's actually a good thing on their front they, because they believe that she is a polarizing figure. I, I, I understand the urge to use her and the desire to use her and what she brings to the table. But I also think that I mean, if you listen to Nikki Haley speak, she talks all the time about how you're not really voting for Joe Biden. You're voting for Kamala Harris, that that's who's going to be the next president, essentially referring to his age. Um, they think that is a talking point for that as well. Quick button. No, I think Kamala Harris, I mean, we saw her kind of find some of her footing last year, right? Uh, reproductive issues is right there in her wheelhouse as well. Again, the campaign has dispatched her to Wisconsin, to Georgia. Again, as I mentioned before, just showing up yeah. some of that support with black voters. Okay. Thanks so much, everybody. And Nikki Haley is moving on to South Carolina, saying she is more electable than Donald Trump. Up next, we're going to speak to a Republican strategist about whether she's right. 
From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Get ready for what is shaping up to be the longest general election race ever. November 5th is 286 days away, and we're looking at an all but certain rematch now between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. So I want to talk to uh, one of Biden's advisors, the uh, co-chair of his re-election campaign, Cedric Richmond, former congressman of Louisiana. Thank you so much for joining me. appreciate it. So last night, Thanks your campaign said that Donald Trump has all but, thank you, last night, your campaign said that Donald Trump has all but locked up the GOP nomination, and it coincides with some top Biden aides moving from the White House to where you are in the campaign. Uh, does this indicate that the campaign is moving into general election mode today? And more specifically, how does that change? What, what does that look like for you that's different from yesterday? Well, I think yesterday solidified uh, the theory that Donald Trump and his MAGA base has taken over the Republican Party. And now what follows is we're going to continue to engage with the American people. We're bringing over uh, two of our best aides that uh, were on the campaign last time to supplement and to join the already terrific team that we have. And we're going to talk, taking our message straight to the American people and talk about what this contrast looks like. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is some of what we saw in these uh, New Hampshire exit polls last night. An electorate very unhappy still with the economy. I can just tell you anecdotally, I've spoken to voter after voter who say that they wanted Donald Trump back in because they had more money in their bank accounts. I want to give you one example of a voter I talked to, Sue, who isn't really that happy with, she's an undeclared, so independent, isn't that happy with either Joe Biden or Donald Trump as her choices? I don't want to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. I'm an independent. Traditionally, I vote Democrat. I'm not opposed to voting for a Republican if their positions align with mine. Um, I don't like our choices right now. How do you reach voters like that? Well, one we have to one we have to remind them of what the country was like three years ago. Fifty percent of the schools shut down, fourteen million fewer jobs, and then talk to them about what the president has done every day: waking up, working for American people. Inflation is down, fourteen million jobs created, uh, capping the cost of insulin, reducing the price of. Uh, energy, reducing the price of health care. But more importantly, we have to let them know that we understand that things are not where we want to be, and we're going to continue the president's uh, moral philosophy, which is to build the economy from the middle out and the bottom up. And the contrast to that is to continue what Donald Trump and Republicans propose, and that is to build an economy that rewards the very wealthy and our corporations. And that does not build uh, a solid middle class. And so we get to go out and remind people of 
what has happened over the last three years and tell them what we want to do in the next four. I have to ask you about what happened when President Biden and Vice President Harris went to Virginia to uh, give a big push on uh, abortion rights and try to start the campaign in a fulsome way on that issue. I know you saw multiple times our reporters there said uh, more than a dozen times he was interrupted. The president was interrupted by protesters who are not happy with his support for Israel in its war against Hamas. You know, we've seen this kind of thing time and time again. Uh, protesters in general are, you know, not a new thing, but this was pretty uh, intense. And I want to ask you about it because it does speak to a very important part of the Biden coalition, some of these sort of staunch progressives who he's going to need to win in 2024. How do you reach them? One, I think that even in South Carolina, you saw the president uh, treat and listen to uh, protesters with respect. And it's part of what makes America America and why we are the greatest country in the world is that we allow free speech. We allow others with different opinions to voice that opinion. We don't silence them. We don't bully them. We don't ask people in the crowd to rough them up like President Trump did during his rallies. And the president's taking uh, the issue very, very seriously. His role as commander in chief is one of the roles that is most solemn. And it's a role that <clears throat> he thinks about and works on every day in terms of getting to uh, the right answer. And so we will continue to uh, push for peace and that we protect innocent lives uh, wherever they are. And I think that uh, we will, again, talk to the American people about uh, where we are. And look, we have a very diverse uh, coalition, and we're going to bring that coalition back together. Former Congressman Cedric Rip, uh, Richmond, now uh, the national co-chair of the Biden campaign. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And up next, we are going to go live to South Carolina, talking to voters and what they think of former governor and former uh, U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley versus Donald Trump. Nikki Haley insists she is pushing ahead, looking to her sweet home state, she called it, of South Carolina. That's where CNN's Diane Gallagher joins us live from Somerville, right outside of Charleston. I am very, very jealous, uh, Diane. It looks beautiful there. Uh, what have you heard from voters about what they see as the potential or not to have a vote for their former governor in this race? You know, Dana, the weather is certainly sweet here in South Carolina, but I'll tell you that voter sentiments on their former governor, who they elected twice in South Carolina, aren't as sweet. Now, Nikki Haley said last night in New Hampshire that voters here did not want a coronation. They wanted an election, and she was going to give that to them. But the majority of the voters that we've spoken to here in Somerville, which is a Republican stronghold in South Carolina's low country, tell me that they have made their mind up and they plan to vote for the former president. In fact, even voters who like the former governor tell me that they are concerned that because of Trump's victories in both Iowa and New Hampshire, as well as polling that they've seen, 
that they're afraid that he may run away with it here in South Carolina. And that could not only cause Haley to lose her home state, but that loss could potentially impact her future in politics. That's something that several of the Haley supporters we've spoken with have voiced concerns about. Now, look, she is putting her money where her mouth is. She is already up on the air, part of a $4 million ad buy with two ads, one of them touting her experience as a governor, but the other one talking about a refrain that we have heard from the former governor about America not wanting a rematch of Trump and Biden. But I will tell you, even talking to Republican officials here, uh, many of them say that they fear that that may be inevitable. Diane, thank you so much for that reporting. Appreciate it. And Jeff Zeleny is still with me here. And I want to bring in Matt Mowers, former New Hampshire Republican Party executive director, also part of the Trump administration. I want to talk about South Carolina, but we're sure. in New Hampshire still. The last time uh, for this cycle, you know the state well. Can you just give us a, a 30 second overview on the importance of the results that we saw here? Well, if there was one state in America where a non-Trump candidate could beat him, it'd be New Hampshire. Uh, the number of independents who participated in the process, the number of moderate Republicans who are actually in the Republican Party, not to mention a popular Republican governor, Chris Sununu, endorsing his opponent. Uh, so the 12-point gap here that we're seeing between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley uh, might spell some challenges in other states that are much more challenging demographically for Nikki Haley supporters than they would have been here in New Hampshire. So interesting. Okay, so let's look at some of that support that Donald Trump did get here. And dig into one question, which is an important question uh, that was asked about what happens to Donald Trump if he ends up convicted. Is he fit for president? These are just, you mentioned undeclared or independent voters, these are just Republican voters. Republicans, 54 said yes, 42% say no. Now, whenever we ask that question, I, I sort of hesitate to figure out which one I should focus on first. I mean, 54% saying, yes, he is still fit is wow. Uh, but then if you look at the other number, 42% saying no, is that a warning sign for Donald Trump? Look, it's definitely a warning sign. And I'm actually curious uh, because New Hampshire, you know it so right. well. It's a battleground state. I mean, this is a, a state that's important in the general election. What do those numbers mean for Trump uh, if he becomes the nominee in the fall. Yeah. I mean, look, that's that's going to be a challenge for him. And it's not just New Hampshire. It's a lot of key other key swing states where you see similar uh, questions asked, similar polling. Um, it's one of the reasons why, you know, and I, I like Ron McDaniel. She's a friend, but I'll actually disagree with her assessment here that we should wrap this up. You need to give voters like that who have concerns a chance to voice their opposition. Because mm -hmm. if they don't do it in the primary, they may have a trouble actually coming around to voting for Donald Trump should he be the nominee in the general election. Um, so That's I'd say, so you know, this could be ultimately come down at the end of the day between Trump versus Biden. Which candidate is able to hold the core of their base together and their core party? Uh, we saw one of the challenges for Donald Trump in 2020 in states like here in New Hampshire. I happened to be on the ballot with him that year, uh, was a supporter that year. Um, it's a challenge because you not only do you have independents, but upwards of 10 to 15 percent of Republicans, at least, who may have trouble voting for him. And, and you just can't afford to lose that many of your own party if you want to win these key states. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really interesting. Um, the other question of whether or not, let me say it this way. Uh, what we saw last night from Donald Trump was a, a reminder of the Donald Trump that some of the voters who didn't support him this time around and yet did the last time saw and don't really love about him. And that is, he was really aggressive against Nikki Haley. She went after him first, uh, but he yeah. took the bait 
Let's listen to what Trey Gowdy, who is a former Republican congressman from South Carolina, a Trump supporter, said about that. He was talking about her dress. Winners don't do that. I mean, why make fun of someone's dress? You just won by 10 points. Lots of evangelicals in South Carolina. Good state for him. Act like a winner. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of a different tone from the Iowa speech. Uh, you know, I think uh, in a lot of ways, Donald Trump and his campaign expected after a 30-point win in Iowa that the field was going to consolidate. It largely did. Vivek Ramaswamy drops out the next day and endorses Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis only a few days later. I think after the results of last night, Donald Trump clearly expects Nikki Haley to do the same. Uh, and so I think he was frustrated. You know, it was, it was palpable in his speech last night. But what about the point that Trey Gowdy was making, which is, could it hurt Donald Trump uh, with the evangelical voters, just for example, the one that he gave in places like South Carolina coming up. I mean, I tend to question that because it's not as if anybody who's going to the poll has been living under a rock and has never seen Donald Trump behave the way he did last night. Every single voter you talk to, if they're voting for Trump or for Haley or for one of the other rivals running the race, virtually to a person except Trump superfans, say they like his policies, they don't like his personality, but they're willing to overlook it. So I think that that is something that's probably not an issue in the short term. I think it does, though, add a little bit of uh, oomph for Nikki Haley or perhaps her donors to mm -hmm. want to stay in and fight this a little bit more. He could have totally ignored her. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. And also, you mentioned that New Hampshire is a swing state in the general election. That's right. When the, he, he didn't win, even though Both he times. said he did not. He said he did, he did not He win. lost narrowly in 16 and uh, by eight points. That's exactly it? right. Right around seven, eight points in the general. Okay. Coming up, a CNN exclusive. The second gentleman weighs in on anti-Semitism in America ahead of Holocaust Remembrance Day this weekend. You don't want to miss this. Doug Emhoff, the second gentleman, is using his position to combat anti-Semitism in America. Here's part of his exclusive interview with CNN's Wolf Blitzer. There's some days I want to do it because it's too hard. I'm too uh, beat up about it. But my wife, the vice president, has been so supportive, pushing me out there to continue to use my voice and this microphone to push back on the hate, the vitriol, and what's going on. I know I have an obligation to our Jewish community as the, the first Jewish person in this role. There's, there's high ex expectations and there's a lot of accountability. I take that extremely seriously. So no matter how bad I might be feeling personally, it's not going to stop me from continuing to use my voice, this microphone, to advocate against anti-Semitism, against hate, and to, again to push our coalitions back together so we can fight this thing together. You can watch this very important interview by Wolf with Doug Emhoff tonight on The Situation Room. Please don't miss it. Thank you so much for joining us again live from New Hampshire on Inside Politics. CNN News Central is next. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 